Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that is familiar to many, if not most people today, but often people think about yoga in a very limited way as just a, perhaps, program of exercise or stretching The word yoga means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Um, Our topic today is the transforming power of deep human connection. How do our deepest relationships in life shape who we are and what is the nature and potential of our friendships? The magic connections of special relationships are powerful keys to who we have become and who we will become. My guest today is Stephen Cope, who has been the senior scholar in residence for the past 25 years at the renowned Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. He's a Western-trained psychotherapist who writes and teaches about Western psychological paradigms and Eastern contemplative traditions. He's the author of many best-selling books, including The Great Work of Your Life, and his newest book that we were going to be focusing on today is called Soul Friends, The Transforming Power of Deep Human Connection. You can find out more about Stephen at the website kripalu, K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. So, Stephen Cope, welcome. I am just delighted that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Laurel, thrilled to be back. It's uh, it's so good to be talking with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to our little chat. 
<laughs> Me too. Before we begin that chat, let's start with a yoga moment. Uh, just a moment to bring ourselves present and really um, perhaps touching our aliveness, our becoming more fully alive. So let's begin by focusing on our breath. Wonderful tool that's always with us that can help us to connect with the present moment. So let's take a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Just observing the breath, not trying to change it. Feeling the cool air entering the nostrils. And the warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our heart to the divine and to the divine love that's the essence of our being. This one reality called by many names is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts beyond all change. That core of our being. And by noticing it, we can rest there. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being and allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Stephen Cope, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Laurel. You just put me in a totally altered state. Uh, 
<laughs> Isn't it wonderful? We can always have that yoga moment. Uh-huh. We can any time right? throughout the day. There. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So um, as I was mentioning to you before we came on the air, I, I really enjoyed my visit to Kripalu last September and was really happy to run uh, into you there. And yeah, was, Go ahead. No, I just, that, that was great. It was a nice moment. Unanticipated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've been enjoying your recent book, Soul Friends, The Transforming Power of Deep Human Connection. So what, what inspired you to write this book at this time? You know, it's interesting, Laurel. I um, About eight years ago, I moved to a new city. I moved to Albany, New York, and um, I was in a situation where I had to make new friends. And I, I started getting interested in friendship. What is it? How can you systematically promote it? Um, what happens in friendships? What happens between people in friendships? I I, I know that once I landed in this kind of new territory, I was very hungry for deep connection. So I, I just got really interested in what what is connection and what's happening there. And I started drilling down into um, the, the different mechanisms that really happen in, in friendship. And um, I started giving some talks about it at Kripalu and, and people – other people were vitally interested. What's connection, and do I have it, and how can I promote it? So, voila, you have the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Soul Friends, <clears throat> the title of the book, or part of the title of the book. So, what what does that yeah. term mean, and how can we tell if we have have them? Yeah, well, most of us have them. Um, the the term. A lot of my work in this book really is based on the work of Heinz Kohut, who was a great disciple of Freud's, um, but split with Freud later in his career because Kohut was was very interested in in optimal living and um, aspiring to be all that we can be. And he came up, up with the notion that in order to be the fully alive human being, which, of course, is a, is a term from yoga, the jivamukti, um, he said one must create around oneself a surround of relationship that is evoking, sustaining, affirming, and unifying. In other words, as we create this surround around us of deep friendship and relationship, that surround actually is what evokes us into being who we, who we can possibly be. And he, too, delved down into the, men, into the mechanisms of of relationship to see what what precisely is it that's at work that that um, helps to co-create us in in the surround. Um, so that's that's the the and, and I coined the term soul friends because I wasn't particularly interested in writing about soul mates per se. That that has a much that has a flavor of romance and the, the kinds mm-hmm. of friendships I'm talking about are not necessarily romances. Uh, although they can be at some stages, um, so I, I like I like the term soul friends because these this within this surround relationship there are going to be a handful or six or eight or ten or twelve who have been absolutely essential in in determining who we've become in our life and who we can become in the future. Um, so soul friends and and as I say, uh, most of us have them. Um, and um, if, if we take a minute to actually ponder who's been 
absolutely critical to who I've become over the course of my life. It's a very interesting little exercise. Yes, uh, and that one that you start the book, you encourage people to, you know, to make a list of yeah. of their um, who they think might be their soul friends, and then to read the book from that uh, perspective. So, yeah. one of the things I really appreciate about the book, though, I mean, it's not just about friendship, but it's about the transformative nature of friendship and how our, you know, certain these soul friendships, as you describe them, are are really. Um, you know, have been essential in in uh, our own transformation. So, why do you yeah. think that it's important to examine friendships or relationships in the light of personal transformation? Well, um, the the self. We now know that the self is is really a co created phenomenon. It's co created in interpersonal relationships and it's in in social webs and contexts. And this is where you and I can very much rely on uh, the the great contemplative traditions, both the yoga tradition and the Buddhist tradition, for their understanding of the laws of cause and effect and, and interdependence. Um, and so I think it's useful for us to look at um, the ways in which we're co-created in these deep friendships and relationships um, so that we can uh, – so that we can – more systematically use them consciously. So, for example, once I started identifying the mechanisms, I realized, oh, this is what's going on in that relationship. For example, mirroring. So uh, mirroring is one of the six mechanisms that Coet talks about. And once you realize that you have a friend who's a clear mirror for you, um, you can start to use that friendship. You can start to be a mirror for them. You can see the mechanism at work. Oh, my gosh, there's that one friend who will always tell me the truth. Mm. Um, and you know that that's gold because they're, as I say in the book and the chapter on mirroring, they're parts, of our, they're parts of our psyches and our souls that we will never see without the help of another pair of eyes, another soul mm. observing mm-hmm. us and commenting on it. And so once you begin to catch on to these mechanisms, you see them at work everywhere in your life, and you can begin to use them more consciously. Mm. So many spiritual traditions talk about the importance of community, of being with others who are on the spiritual path. So how do the deep friendships that you discuss in your book relate to the larger context of spiritual community? And, and why are they important? What, what do they add? You know, um, it's a great question. I, I love the, um, the, the quote um, that we often hear about the Buddha and his relationship with his best friend, Ananda. Um, Ananda, who we know was the Buddha's best friend throughout his teaching life, once asked him, he said, Lord, um, is, the, is, is deep spiritual friendship a part of the spiritual path? And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, it's not a part of the spiritual path. It's the whole of the path. Mm. I, I was struck by that in part because, you know, the Buddha usually gives us an enormous amount of information and teaching about something like that. And I wanted to scream, well, where's the rest of that teaching? I, I don't hear much more about that in the, mm. in the Buddhist tradition. Um, mm. But 
I know for myself that on the spiritual path, you and I are both um, more within the yoga sphere, it has been my deep friendships on the path that I really rely on to call me forth, to be a better person, to see who I could be. Um, and then I have to flex the muscle of friendship with them as well, and that requires sometimes self-sacrifice and generosity and wisdom and even tough love. It's like these friendships are little gymnasiums, are little laboratories for us to exercise all the possibilities of being human within a trusting sphere. Um, and so uh, I, I think that anybody will say that their companions on the path have been absolutely essential in their uh, progress up the mountain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So as the teachings of yoga tell us, there's really only one reality, which is the source and substance of all that is. And through the many practices of yoga, we experience that oneness. And that quote from Paramahansa Yogananda, he said, Feel the love of God. Then, in every person, you will see the face of God, the light of love, which is in all. You will find a magic living relationship uniting the trees, the sky, the stars, all people, and all living things. And you will feel a oneness with them. This is the code of divine love. So, is this what, when you talk about deep human connection, this is what it brings to mind for me. Is that, is that what you're speaking to? Absolutely. I mean, um, who was it? Ramakrishna who said, only the divine can see the divine. That it is, is the divine in me that sees the divine in you and calls it forth and, and vice versa. And I love, if you dig down into the yoga tradition, particularly um, the Yoga Sutra, you discover that there is this point on the path, it's called samapati or coalescence, where you begin to realize that all beings are, and the text actually says this, all beings are made of the same stuff. That is, we're all part of the same human family. We're essentially alike in the ways that we suffer and in the ways that we experience joy um, and, and happiness. So, um, once you once you realize that it's impossible to do harm, you're, you you see people as really your family um, all around you, and this promotes what the yoga traditions call maitri or goodwill or friendliness toward all beings, and it's all based, Laura, on this this experience of oneness, and that's. So, so for me, connection is all about knowing and being known. And when you know somebody deeply, you, you see this likeness, this sameness. The Bhagavad Gita calls it the vision of sameness. Um, and uh, it, it's profound. It pulls forth all the best qualities of, of the human being. Mm. You know, one of the things I, I think you probably know, um, I've been a psychotherapist for many years, and one of the things the therapist does is simply sit with another human being and get to know them. And um, 
I can tell you this is very surprising. They don't teach you this in graduate school, but even those clients that you dislike or that have done behaviors that you don't approve of at the beginning, as you get to know them, inevitably, if they stick around long enough, you actually start to love them. You start mm-hmm. to you start to see, you identify with their suffering because we all suffer yeah. in the same way, greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, you start to identify with their joy. You see, inevitably, you start to see the good. And, you know, these are the so-called proximate causes of the arising of goodwill, seeing the good, identifying with the suffering. Um, and, and so this whole quality, you know, in the yoga tradition, we talk about vidya, which is usually translated as knowledge, but it really means knowing, really means this capacity to know. And I believe that that capacity to know is the central capacity of the human being. And so it's, it's exercised in these deep connections, which, um, which make us feel more and more human. Hmm. Oh, so you said that so well. That's beautiful. So in, in your book, um, you talk a lot about your relationship with your grandmother. And yeah. I, I really enjoyed those stories, particularly the one about, you know, f- finding the old, old, uh, cemetery. I just thought that was such a beautiful story. Uh, so, so uh, yeah. can you, can you tell us about your grandmother and, and how you were transformed sure. by your relationship with her? Absolutely. So my grandmother, Armida Vandermark Crothers, was a feisty daughter of a gentleman farmer. And, um, she was beautiful, stunningly beautiful, but very down to earth her whole life. Um, and I, I grew up in a family that was pretty dysfunctional. My mom was quite distracted. So I, I lived periodically with my wonderful grandparents. And I had this experience with my grandmother of feeling safely held and soothed. And this is the very first mechanism in relationship that's absolutely essential that we experience. The experience of being safely and securely held and soothed, both physically and also psychologically. And it's within that holding, it's that, it's that holding, both psychological and physical, that allows us to feel safe enough to begin to explore our own self, our own inner world, our own subjective world. Um, and, and part of the way that happens is in these containment experiences, like I had with Graham, um, the, the child begins to feel felt. You, you know, the, so, so grandma was, I talked earlier about knowing. Grandma was interested in me. She was interested in knowing me. She was interested in being with me, and I was interested in, in the same with her. And um, so... That created a container, a holding, a soothing that over time I interjected so that I, I know when I was a young man, for example, I, I hitchhiked through South America one summer and I got into all kinds of scrapes. And whenever I was in extremis or in danger, I would close my eyes and who came to mind? It was grandma. Uh, she was who was in there as the figure who had held and soothed me. And um, I remember once I was on a bus having an asthma attack and I thought I was going to die. But mm-hmm. solidly in there was 
my grandmother. That's uh, my very first container. And once you have experienced that kind of containment, um, you can use it, and you need it through the rest of your life, but you also interject it. So now I'm capable of containing other people because I got that inside from Graham. Such a, such a beautiful explanation. So with that, we've come to the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Stephen Cope, Senior Scholar in Residence at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health and author of many best-selling books, including the book we're focusing on today, Soul Friends, The Transforming Power of Deep Human Connection. You can fi- find out more about Stephen Cope, his books and teaching schedule at kripalu.org. That's K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yoga hour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll be exploring more about friendships as transformation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 1-800-NOW-PRAY. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how 
each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, joined today by Stephen Cope and discussing how friendships are transformational, can transform us so deeply. So, Stephen, you've divided your book, Soul Friends, into six sections, with each section describing a different type of soul friendship and a different mechanism right. of transformation. Yep. So, um, as we, we've already kind of talked about this, but, um, you know, uh, you know, what you, what you, um, give in each of these sections is not only examples of your own uh, you know, friendships in your life, soul friendships in your life, but also ones uh, that are uh, of famous people, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better yeah, term. Exactly. <laughs> <I didn't see. laughs> so um, one of the one of the uh, the first uh, friendships, actually, that you describe, other than the one with your grandmother that you've told us a little bit about, uh, is uh, your friendship with Seth. And you yeah. uh, talked about this type of of friendship, this mechanism of transformation as twinship. So, yeah. what is twinship, and why is it important for our development? So this this term twinship, people get confused sometimes because I actually am a twin, but this is not about that <laughs> kind of twinship. This right. is a term coined by Kohut, um, and it really refers to the kinds of best friendships that we have, usually starting in adolescence, you know, the the blood brother, the bromance, the best friends forever, those highly charged um, early friendships. So these go on throughout life, but usually they start <clears throat> in, in adolescence. And the key mechanism here is the experience, perhaps for the first time, of the essential likeness of the other. I don't know if you have this experience, but in, in my best friendships, we're often saying things like, oh, I can't believe you said that because I feel right. the same way. Yes. Um, yeah. There's this, for the first time often in adolescence, you you encounter somebody whom you, for, for whatever reason, want to get to know. And the, the joy here is that they want to get to know you as well. Now, this is profound. I mean, I remember my first best friend and, and you know, I was in high school and Seth was a best friend from college. Um, and, and again, uh, somebody that I really, I don't know why he was very different than me, but I wanted to get to know him and he wanted to get to know me. Mm-hmm. Um, these friendships are, uh, you know, sometimes they can be romances, Laurel. Sometimes they can be friendships, um, you know, among peers, as mine was with Seth. But the very beginning of the sense of uh, a likeness, again, I talked about this before in the Gita that talks about the, um, uh, the, 
the vision of sameness. And then, so this is the very beginning of realizing, wow, I belong to this race that I'm really part of, the human race. It, it, it results in an experience of belonging. Um, and these relationships, you, you know you're in one, and I describe this in the book, when, when a couple phenomenon are present. Number one is tracking. So when we're in a deep friendship in which we're vulnerable, we've opened ourselves to knowing and being known, we're constantly tracking that other person. We're tracking emotionally our, like, is the friendship okay? Are we, are we on safe ground? Have they gone away? Could I be betrayed? Um, mm-hmm. So these, th- that's the first one. The second one is, is empathic repair. So if for some reason there's a break in this kind of friendship, um, and something gets damaged or there's, there's conflict that isn't resolved, uh, the self feels very shaky in those, in those times and seeks to repair as quickly as possible um, in order to actually feel uh, whole and safe again. Because in these friendships, the self is actually going through a profound transformation. You're opening yourself. Um, you're opening yourself to, to become somebody new through this connection. And so, again, these are highly charged. Very often they, they can end abruptly. They can end with, uh, you know, some kind of drama. Or they can, they can often um, evolve into another, uh, another kind of mature relationship as well. Yeah, when you were describing uh, this twinship as you want to get to know someone else and they want to get to know you. Cause I just want to underline that, that it's not the way it's described in the book. It's not, you know, like I'm a doctor, you know, I, you know, I'm retired at the, I'm, you know, I you know, host the yoga hour. It's not those superficial yeah, details. Yeah. It's like they really, yeah. someone that really wants to get to know the real you and that exactly. you really want to get to know them beyond the surf the surface just the you know the the um hi how are you doing i'm fine today kind of kind of conversation yeah. Yeah. and and particularly looking back to adolescence um yes i had i had uh certainly at least a few friends you know like this and it was especially in adolescence i I, I love that you used that as an example of that time of your life because it is when we're just really coming into our own skin and really yeah. having that amazing experience of this person really wants to get to know me deeply and I really right. want to get to know them deeply. I, I, I just thought it was, uh, it was wonderful to reflect back on that. Isn't it? I mean, and, and these, these friendships remain alive throughout our lives. And you asked me at the beginning why I wrote this book. One of the reasons is that at 60, eight years ago, when I moved to Albany, I began to create a, a new friendship with my buddy Brian. It's not a romantic friendship. It's, it's, it's just a deep friendship. And I realized you can have these best friendships all the way through life. And they always have this same flavor of excitement and there's, a transfer of energy and information going back. There's tracking. There's repair. Um, they they demand in a way that you step up and be your better self. So they're they're very exciting. I love these friendships. Yeah. 
you know, on the other hand, not all of the examples of friendship that you give in the book are easy. So friction in friendship is also important in our development and in our transformation. So you talk about the relationship between Charles Darwin and Robert Fitzroy. So, and it was an adversarial relationship between them. So can you describe that relationship a bit and then talk about how, how did that affect Darwin and impact his work? Yeah, it's such an interesting story. We've, We've only just recently begun to understand that we need in our lives the adversarial relationship. I call it the noble, the noble adversary. This is the person who is not an enemy, but who, who pushes up against us. And we need them precisely because this adversarial stance, the kind of benign adversarial stance on their part, forces us to gather ourselves together and to, to unify ourselves, to step up to the challenge. So Darwin, at the age of, I think he was 26, he might have been a little younger, sets off on this voyage with the great Captain Fitzroy, who was later became an admiral and a very celebrated captain in, the, uh, in Her Majesty's Navy. Well, they are locked, get this, they're locked in a cabin together for five years as the Beagle, the, the HMS Beagle, travels around the world. And they start, it, I'm sorry. No, I just said, wow, five years yeah, yeah, <laughs> in a exactly. ship's cabin together. <laughs> five years. And the, the friendship starts as a bromance because Darwin is infatuated with this brilliant seaman um, but very soon, Darwin begins to evolve to, well, no pun intended there, soon begins to um, <laughs> develop his ideas of evolution. Uh, he didn't set off on the trip to do that. He just started observing. And slowly, he pieces together the puzzle of evolution, but he doesn't realize at the outset that he's locked in a cabin with a staunch fundamentalist uh, dude who is a creationist and who believes literally in the story in Genesis. And so for five years, Darwin has to test his ideas about evolution in the fire of Fitzroy's very brilliant uh, pushback about evolution itself. Uh, Fitzroy never, never does come to embrace Darwin's ideas. Um, they loved each other. They were, very good friends, almost to the end. The the end is a sad ending, but um, the point is they figured out a way to creatively use this adversity, uh, this adversarial stance, uh, particularly Darwin did, to grow. And this was fascinating for me to watch because I, I didn't know that much about Darwin, but Darwin evolved into this absolutely beautiful being. And you and I talk about unity and all beings are made of the same stuff. And Darwin finally came to that very conclusion. If you, if you paid attention to his life, you'd see this guy was a yogi. He mm. came to understand the oneness of it all um, mm. through his investigation, systematic investigation. And it was partly that adversarial stance of Robert Fitzroy that allowed him to do it. Yeah, it's it's a great story, and and I love how you uh, weave the stories of of famous or well known people throughout the uh, book, their friendships, in addition to your own. Yeah. I think it gives it yeah. a, a lot of depth. And it's we're looking fun. at that at that adversarial 
you know, nature in relationship. Um, obviously, when we um, come up against a hard place in a relationship, it it can be challenging um, for yeah. us, for the other person, for the relationship, and yet also this huge has this huge potential, uh, as you pointed out, for for transformation. Um, sure. It's it's. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think about the yogis who live in caves in India. Maybe they have other yogis that they have relationships with. There, but, 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 you know, to me, there's nothing like, you know, a, a close relationship where you're really interacting with each other and, you know, things come up and you get to see uh-huh. um, things that you wish perhaps weren't true about yourself. You know, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great uh, reality check. Let's just put it yeah. that way. It it totally is. And, you know, if you're committed to goodwill and loving kindness in that friendship where difficult things come up, then you don't have the option really of splitting that person off and saying, okay, now you're my enemy because we disagree about that or we had a hard time. Just like Darwin and Fitzroy, you're locked in in the cabin of life together. And you have to work it out. So it forces you to dig deeply down inside for resources to identify with the other person, to, again, to look for the good and to identify with the suffering. Um, and uh, I, I know, for example, I mentioned my, my best buddy, Brian. We have this mechanism that we, that we started, that we invented. We call it a friend check-in. So if there's conflict or if I'm irritated with him or cranky about something, I'll say, Brian, we need a friend check-in. That's a, that's a clear signal that we have something important to talk about. And he'll sit up straight or I'll sit up straight if he says it to me, and we'll have a deep talk. Um, we have a commitment not to let things pass that come up. That You know how easy it is to just say, well, yeah. we won't deal with that. Um, right. And it, it is actually those friend check-ins that I think both of us at this point would say have been the glue of our friendship. So, as we mentioned, there's there's uh, six different of these friendship types. We've talked about twinship, and another of the friendships that you talk about is conscious partnership. So, this yes. is a relationship that brings deep joy and contentment. The joy yeah. you describe is the inner deep joy of the teachings of, uh, that the teachings of yoga tell us is unchangeable and is already there at the core of our being. And the Sanskrit term for this is ananda or bliss. You share a wonderful personal story about your relationship with your dear friend and partner Sue and the story of the uh, also of the deep love and partnership of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. These relationships were both deeply transformative. So can you say a little bit about conscious partnership? You know, what is I it love and this why one. is it important? Yeah. Um, I love this one because it kind of is the pinnacle of what can what can happen in friendship is that you become one another's allies. So um, Susie and I have known each other for, for 40 years. We never intended to live together. I got sick um, a few years ago, and she's a nurse, and she said, hey, come over. I'll cook for you. We'll get you better. I moved in, and after a while, we said, wow, we love living together as friends. It's not a romantic partnership, but 
we've created what we call the new American family, which is we've intentionally created a partnership that is organized around supporting one another's thriving. So it has within it a lot of space, like space for Susie to be herself and for me to be myself and have our own um, uh, uh, experiences. Um, but at the core is a daily check-in where we ask, how's it going? Um, how can I support you? And um, I, I tell the story about Victoria and Albert precisely because they began as a uh, twinship relationship. They fell in love and, and the whole bit. But very quickly, they caught on to this idea that they could be one another's allies in the world and intentionally work to create um, happiness for one another and then for their family, and then that happiness and joy began to spread all around them. And as we know, they were a hugely positive force in English society. This couple that simply began by being committed to their own joy and their own happiness and then it spread like waves in a pond out from the circle of that, that early relationship and actually had a field effect on the entire, the, the whole of English society. So that by the time, of course, Albert died young, but by the time Victoria died, she was hugely adored in, in England, widely loved. Um, and I think this is interesting because we always think of Victoria as kind of this cranky, uh, stiff upper lip, uh, shut down person, but she wasn't at all. She had tons of joy in her life. She was a very sexual being. She really enjoyed it all. She loved food. She loved to dance. Um, so I, I talk about joy in that chapter and about the ways in which you can pay close attention to what brings you joy and savor those moments when that beautiful, expansive experience of joy arises. And, of course, the yoga scriptures talk about, uh, about joy and loving kindness and compassion and equanimity altogether as the divine abodes or the abodes of the gods um, <clears throat> and basically say, this is our true nature. These qualities, this, th these divine abodes, uh, Maitri or loving kindness, sympathetic joy, compassion, and equanimity are who we really are. And so I took to, uh, I took Rick Hansen's advice in his brilliant book, The Buddha's Brain, of identifying moments of joy and then consciously savoring them. So in a little while, I'll go to Whole Foods for lunch and I'll walk in and there's a huge burst of flowers in the lobby. I will actually go over and smell the flowers and be with the flowers and just savor that moment of joy. Um, now we know that that actually over time changes the brain so that the brain is more capable of experiencing joy. Um, and, and again, it's just uh, learning to identify factors that create happiness so that you can systematically promote them. Absolutely, and uh, um, I'm happy that you mentioned Rick Hansen, another person we've had on the Yoga Hour several times uh, for his various books, and and yeah. I, I really enjoy 
I enjoyed reading more about <clears throat> how our nervous systems are really, um, you know, really geared to place much more emphasis on the negative so that, and I, I think many people can experience this, you know, you get home yeah. at the end of the day and you could have had wonderful, lovely things happen to you during the day, but what's the one thing that you remember uh, yeah. is the, per- the person who cut you off in traffic or someone who said something <laughs> in a kind of unthinking way and hurt your feet. I mean, that's yeah. what you're, like, as you fall asleep, that's what you're thinking about yeah. and really yeah. doing what you just said, you know, which is really focusing on those amazing experiences that that can be, um, you know, very. Um, you don't. It doesn't have to be a peak experience. <laughs> just exactly. being outside yeah. and feeling uh, maybe um, feeling sunshine on your face or a, a certain fragrance of a you know of as you were saying of flowers or. Um, a way somebody, instead of noticing when they cut you off in traffic, maybe someone who held the door open for you, or you know, I mean, there there are all of these things that happen in our days, but our nervous systems are such that they tend to just roll off of us, and so for us to focus on them in that way and kind of accentuate, accentuate, like for you, adding not just the not just the yeah. the visual of those flowers as you walk into Whole Foods, but really adding another sense, you know, smelling the flowers, really noticing that yeah. Um, yeah. can help can help those positive ones stay with us and not be uh, overwhelmed by uh, the negative ones. So um, for those exactly. uh, listen- Yoga Hour listeners, if you haven't heard those Rick Hansen episodes, you can get them in our oh, archive. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, the negativity bias is very real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know... Um, and cut me off if we're, I think, are we about over? No, no, we've still got, still got, no, we've got okay. uh, four or five minutes, yeah. Yeah, um, there's a great Buddhist teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, who says, it's not enough to follow the heart, you must train the heart. And this is an idea that Western psychology is just beginning to pick up from the East, the idea that you can actually systematically promote joy, loving-kindness, friendliness toward all beings. And, in fact, because of the negativity bias and what Rick calls a simulator, which is constantly running catastrophic scenarios, you actually have to systematically practice the so-called wholesome states in order to promote the kind of brain that you want and the kind of nervous system. Um, And, you know, I love this whole new – there's this whole new track called micro – changes where you you just make little changes you don't you don't have to change the whole world or your whole personality but just stop like right now honestly laura i'm sitting in in this beautiful room that Susie and i just built and i'm so enjoying savoring looking around and i, I like that word savor because it's like you take the experience of the moment and you roll it around on your tongue and it it creates this ineffable quality of joy yeah so um gosh there's so much that i could ask you about the book um and (laughs) we've only got about about two minutes left so for maybe for people who haven't yet bought the book or um, are maybe just beginning to think about relationships what are there any advice you would give us about about where do we start well, you know, Dan Siegel writes a lot about this brilliantly, about the neuroscience of, of relationships and friendships. And 
he points out that this there there is in these deep connections a very real transmission of of what he calls energy and information and i think why we start especially as yogis by being really um aware of that and also taking it very literally it's almost more like there are filament connections between me and well now you you know we yeah. have some mm-hmm. connection between our hearts and yeah. Um, because the yoga world is able to see that there's a hidden, subtle world behind the gross physical world, we begin to take that literally. There are connections now between you and me and between our heart space, and there's the sharing of information and energy. I come away from this interview feeling energized and touched, and I hope you do too. Um, and maybe listeners, this stuff is real. I think you start with that and start looking around and noticing what's actually happening in the moment when you're connecting. Mm. Wonderful. And um, brings it uh, really into the yoga realm, sort of back to where we started, <laughs> exactly. you know, that, that uh, yeah. yoga moment that we had at the beginning. <laughs> So with that, we have come to the end of the show. Uh, You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, and we've been discussing the transforming power of deep human connection with special guest Stephen Cope, Senior Scholar in Residence of the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health and best-selling author of many books, including the one we were talking about today, Soul Friends, The Transforming Power of Deep Human Connection. You can find out more about Stephen Cope's books and teaching schedule at kripalu.org. And last time, it's k-r-i-p-a-l-u.org. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us. Thanks, Laurel. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And please note there are uh, two previous episodes with Stephen Cope in the Yoga Hour archives at unity.fm. You can find them at um, uh, unity.fm uh, slash uh, yoga hour, the yoga hour. And they're craft your glorious life and discover your dharma. Do it on purpose. Next week, we'll be airing an encore presentation of Yogacharya O'Brien and Tim Olmsted, the president of the Pema Chodron Foundation, as they discuss friendliness, compassion, gladness, and equanimity, and how these practices can work in your own life for more happiness and less suffering for all. And then I'll be back with you on November 30th to welcome our guest, Michael Gelb, discussing the art of connection and how we can communicate in a compassionate and genuine manner to broaden our humanity and deepen our connection to others. Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment Meditation Center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can find out more about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend about it. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Sean Smith, and as always, Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. the saying a good deed is its own reward well moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward it will also reward you with vibrant health boundless energy an easy way to keep your weight where you want it and according to yogis and unity's co-founder charles fillmore even give a boost to your spiritual life On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To paraphrase Einstein... I can't solve a problem at the level of the problem. The world's great religions tell us to treat others as we would like to be treated. Remembering that thought makes it a little easier for me to become a peacemaker, a bringer of love when conflict appears. When I choose to be a peacemaker, a loving response or sometimes silence replaces the snappy comeback to an unkind statement directed my way. The momentary satisfaction of winning an argument gives way to the deeper satisfaction of helping to create a more peaceful world, a world where destructive conflict no longer has a place. Peace really can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real.
What got you started on your spiritual path? Minister and radio host Paul John Roach says his path began when he heard George Harrison of the Beatles talking about Hindu philosophy and meditation. Paul John writes about it in the current edition of Unity Magazine. And don't miss the interview with Eben Alexander, the neurologist whose near-death experience led him to write Proof of Heaven. It's all in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine. Go to unity.org and click on Publications. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.